0: Hello Hello <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia Asia Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that
1: highlights the role of women peacebuilders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to
0: Palestine,
1: from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, president of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. Salam, dear listeners.
2: This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying hello from Manila, Philippines. And uh, as as we are taping, it the, the world is celebrating International Day of Peace. But you know what? In the Philippines, it's also the day that um, we commemorate the uh, uh, proclamation of martial law and this was uh, done during the administration of the late uh, president ferdinand e marcos so it's a little strange that both days are <laughs> commemorated on the same the same day uh, essentially but maybe not because martial law was um, promulgated in the Philippines by then-President Marcos. According to him and the security establishment, there were threats to national security. And the proclamation of martial law uh, focused its attention on two threats. The Communist Party of the Philippines with its armed uh, groups Uh, all over the country, especially in uh, the rural poor and the urban poor communities, and also cited the um, Muslim insurgents as a a threat. But my recollection of the time is that the Muslim um, secessionists were really not an organized armed group. I mean, we had Muslim leaders who kept on talking about our history, how the sovereignty, the autonomy of the sultanates of Sulu were essentially stolen by the Philippine uh, Republic when uh, the U.S. government gave the sultanates to the keeping of the uh, of the Philippine government when the declaration of independence when. Uh, the United States gave independence to, to the Philippines. But because of the declaration of martial law and the fear of many young Muslims, my relatives included, and many Muslim leaders as well, about what martial law could mean to uh, the Muslim communities, this actually forced the Moro National Liberation Front to come together and organize itself as as an armed group. But, you know, there are so many things to to discuss about this. And I was thinking that um, the perfect person to help me talk about this would be Salma Rasool, who's a lawyer, and uh, she runs the Islamic Legal Studies program of the very prestigious University of the Philippines College of Law. Salma used to be based in Maryland, USA, as an immigration lawyer, but decided to come home as our mother was getting on in years. I guess you could say Salma was very homesick and missed our mother very much. And as you can tell, Salma is my youngest sister. Welcome, Salma. Hi. Hello, sister. Yes. By the way, what do you remember of martial law? You were
1: very young at the time, the early days yeah. of martial law. What do you remember? Pri- primary school. Well, I remember we had to wake up very early, uh, Form a queue in the school quadrangle, sing the national anthem, and do the pledge of allegiance, which was required. And there's this new song, uh, "May Bagong Silang." We had to memorize that. Oh yeah, that's right. I yeah, forgot about that. We had to sing that. that. Can you can you imagine? I, so, um, can you still remember that song? my Ba That <laughs>
2: was
1: a so long song. It was a march. Was there a curfew? when yes. you were in, in grade school. What time is the curfew? Well, uh, because it was in Holo, remember, uh, primary my primary grades uh, elementary was in Holo and there was the threat of the MNLF then, right? So right. there was a curfew at six, six PM. Nobody 6 can PM. nobody can go out. And then of course um I because of uh the years that we've been uh exposed to military trucks, soldiers, so you That's could true. see trucks patrolling the neighborhood streets. That's trucks, true. Uh soldiers with, uh, no m sixteen as yet. It was the old one, Garand. Garand, <laughs> okay. Yeah, you know, uh, patrolling the streets. And you have. um. Because oh, at that time, I was already in college.
2: So yeah, I, I was right. at the University of the Philippines. And uh, the fear level was very high.
1: Because, I remember. remember I,
2: was, I was an
1: activist. <laughs> Yeah, and, and our parents <laughs> we used, were worried.
2: <laughs> we used to march from the University of the Philippines in Quezon City all the way down to the U.S. Embassy or Mendiola to protest uh, imperialism and uh, and corruption and authoritarianism. Yeah, I, I remember and Papa remember? and Mama were so worried, worried. about me. Mama and Papa finally forced me to go home to Sulu to be safe, to be with was the, Fatima the family. with you then. Fatima, was she? You know, I, mm, no, not, not yet. She came after, but that was, those were really interesting years. Interesting times. In the Philippines, yeah and one of the uh, important things that i remember from those years was how martial law actually galvanized young muslims to action and that and uh, gave force to the moro national liberation front and uh, the chair anurrelaji miswari at the time was just an instructor At the University of the Philippines. And I remember he was soft spoken. Uh, he was, he was a historian. He was, he was quiet and he became the rallying force of young Muslims when they organized the Moro National Liberation Front. And he and, uh, the, Members of the MNLF waged the decades of armed conflict against the government, which forced government to sue for peace. But you know, Salma, dear listeners, if you're wondering about our conversation, our mother is Santanina Pilla Rasul. She is the first Muslim woman ever elected to the Philippine Senate, which is a major feat. Because in the Philippines, senators are elected nationally, not by district or by province, nationally. Mm-hmm. And the Muslim population of the country is uh, maximum 10%. It's almost impossible for a Muslim to win nationally a Senate seat. But she did. And not only that, she's the first Muslim ever to be re-elected. So she had two terms in uh, the Senate. But alas, she's also the last uh, Muslim from Muslim Mindanao elected uh, to the Senate. Hey, Salma. Yes. We have a young, uh, new graduate who wants to know more about our mother, about Mina Rasul. So shall we... Welcome her in. She's uh, Bits Alcibar, and Bits just graduated from Ateneo.
1: Congratulations.
2: Yeah, so Bits um, graduated with a degree in AB Diplomacy and International Relations from Ateneo de Manila University. And she has a passion for upholding human rights in the Philippines. She wants to be a political journalist and she's looking forward to that career or international human rights development. She has a specialization in East and Southeast Asian studies. So welcome,
0: Bits. Hi, hi Mama hi. and Mom Salma. Hello. Thanks there for having
2: yeah. Hello. So uh, So you want to know more about uh, our mom, about Senator Rasul? She Um, celebrated her 92nd birthday, birthday, right? On September Mm 14th. But you know, Bits, I stopped counting my mom's age when she turned 75. So Bits,
0: what do you want to know about Senator Nina Rasul? Well... As you mentioned, I'm a fresh graduate, and even though I'm an advocate for human rights and a women's rights advocate as well, I haven't really been in the thick of women's rights advocacy uh, for very long. So I'm only vaguely familiar with the progression of women's rights, especially here in the Philippines. So I think learning about Senator Rasul as a model of the empowered Filipino woman would be a really good place to start. And I guess I'd like to ask you guys about your experience uh, growing up with her. Uh, you've already touched on it uh, earlier, but I want to know uh, when you were little, what was it like having Senator Rasul as your mother? Ah,
2: well, my earliest recollection of uh, my mom, because I'm I'm the first born. She did really strike me as a woman of ambition. She was a mom. She cooked. She cleaned the house. She went marketing. She read a lot, though, and uh, she made sure that um, we were disciplined and did our share of uh, of the work, like sweeping the floor. And at the time, bits there were no vacuum cleaners. Okay. We had husks. Have you ever seen that in the province? Uh, A Coconut husk, and then uh, they do something, cut it in half, and then they do something so that it's like bristles, and you scrub the floor with it. So we all did that bit. So that's my earliest recollection of our mom. But when Salma was growing up, mom was already, she already started a career in government. So what's your earliest recollection,
1: Salma? Oh, I remember being her first student (laughs) using her uh, phonosyllabic method. She taught me how to read and write when I was, what, five years old? Five or four? You were a terror. Well, between four and five. And I ended up being able to read even newspapers. So... She was, I, I was like her guinea pig. So she tried the lessons on me to see if I could catch up with, with the modules and if there was ease in understanding the way she presented the phonosyllabic lessons. So for me, it was fun because there were, uh, drawings, although mama was not a good artist. She had to get someone to draw the, the pictures of the animals. So. Uh, I, I learned pretty fast.
2: Yeah, a little bit, a little bit about that. When, uh, when mom was younger, so starting out in, in government, uh, one of her friends, then Executive Secretary Salas, later on joined the United Nations, told her, Santa Nina, your people have the highest level of adult illiteracy in the whole country. And my mother said, of course, that's not, that's not true. But being a very studious person, she decided to do her research and found out that it was really true that a huge percentage of the Muslim population, the adults could not read, could not write. So she started thinking about what she could do to rectify the situation found out that a friend of hers, a Malaysian friend of hers, had developed a phonosyllabic uh, method of teaching literacy to children. So our mom started to develop a methodology for teaching adults. And all of us, there are six of us in the family, three boys and three girls, all of us participated in developing this uh, manual. This this manual that she was putting together, it's uh, called Magbasa Kita, which is Tausub for Let Us Read. That years later, the Department of Education uh, asked her to teach teachers in the Department of Education on the methodology. So from north to south, up to today, there are still teachers who remember her very well. Because they learned how to use the magpasa kita phonosyllabic method, and this predates Sesame Street bits. Yeah. Can you imagine? Long before Sesame Street, some people used to call her the mother of illiterates.
0: <laughs> what? <Whoa>. what? <laughs> oh,
2: because yeah. she, she, really did. She was you, 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 you won't believe this bits, but. She traveled on her own, even by bus, from Manila all the way to uh, the Cordilleras, up in the mountains. So she could go meet the teachers, teach them the methodology, and then she'd come back uh, home, stay with us, and then she'd take another bus and go to Bicol again to teach Very young, but, you know, people really loved her because her mother is not just beautiful, but she's kind. She's uh, very patient, not like Salma. She's terrible. Very (laughs) patient. And so
0: So, all the illiterate (laughs) students of hers, I guess, (laughs) her like their mom. So she's the mother of illiterates. Wait, so she was teaching adult illiterates? Yes. Yes, did, like as a, as a, like this was during her stint as a public school teacher, right?
2: No, oh, that no. was her advocacy. she no. was So she was the, no. this
0: she was, this was the was a empowered
2: mystery. woman working as yeah. civil society long before we had civil society in Muslim
0: Mindanao. Hmm. Oh. So she was just doing this on her own,
2: yep, on her own. Wow. Nobody uh, initially, um, she She did it on her own. She used her own resources. But as word about her effective methodology came, then organizations would, you know, talk to her, uh, provide grants so that she could do the same in their, in their communities. And then later on, it became a nationwide, uh, program. In fact, Salma, isn't that one of the reasons why the late President Corazon Aquino chose her to be one of the senator senatorial candidates because she was so well known for magbasa kita
1: yes and because um, the the beneficiaries were mostly underserved communities those without access to formal education and and, right. and they and they seem to be stuck with this edifice complex that There must be a physical (laughs) structure, right, for formal classes. But adults, because they have work, they don't really want to go to a school to be taught how to read and write. So bringing the classes to their barangays where they live would be more accessible. And, of course, you have to consider the ego of the adults, right? Remember, Amina, during the first day of classes, only women... Will attend. No men, especially oh, in the Muslim community. They bring community. their children. Yeah, but if you see, because most of the classes were held either in the homes of the barangay captain or where the barangay uh, office is located, you could see in the windows the men folk uh, peeping and seeing are the lessons hard, and see how how their wives or their aunts were being taught and if the if the <laughs> lessons weren't easy for the women. Then the following day, because of course the women folk will go back to their room and say, No, we were able to participate and recite, you the the class would swell, the numbers will swell and you have men now going to attend classes. So, interesting.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yep. And like the idea. 15, idea.
0: I really like yeah, the yeah, idea yeah. of taking the service to them cool. instead of yeah, like right. making them come to the government. I think that's something that like, the government should really take note of now in terms of education. So you mentioned earlier that Senator Rasul's advocacy in adult literacy prompted President Corey to choose her as a candidate for the Senate. So can you tell me a little bit more about that also? Like how how did Your mother come from uh, teaching uh, illiterates to the Senate. Well, first, first, a funny story about
2: how she got the notice that she Mm -hmm. was being invited by the president to be a candidate.
1: Salma, tell the story. So I was, I think Mama was out with my brother, Pop, Yusuf. I think they were, I don't know they were shopping or doing something. So I was the only one in the house. So I receive a call. And then the person says, oh, this is from Malacanang. Hey, at that time, uh,
2: president, Donna, what's
1: Malacanang? Uh, uh, office of the President. Okay. They call and say, oh, this is from the Office of the President. Maybe speak with uh, Mrs. Santanina Resu." So uh, at that time, because of the uh, ongoing noontime show, prank calls were prevalent. You know, Sylvia Torres' uh, oh, yeah. telephone number. So people were calling using, so I thought it was a prank call. I said, Hey, like, uh, I will not answer this. And I hang up. They called again. I said, Is this a prank call? I said, No, this is the office of the president. So, okay. So I took down the message and then, uh, there were no cell phones at that time, okay? So I think <laughs> Mama always calls you now regularly to check on us, what's what we need in the house, if we need to buy stuff. So uh, she asked my brother to call me. Said, "Pop, you better come home. Ask Mama to come home because uh, the, the president wants to speak with her." <laughs> and my brother again thought I was pranking him. Said, "Oh, I don't believe you." and. So, no, no, please tell her to come home. Otherwise, it's a loss of her. And she really has got to, to call this person in the uh, office of the executive secretary. So they come home. And then at first, they, they didn't really believe me. You no, know? I had to explain, explain, explain. I said, I'll call this number. And when they finally called the number and the person asked office of the president, oh, that's the only time that they believe. So they had this matrix with, uh, uh, Factors that would determine the most suitable candidate for the Senate. So there was the educational profile, uh, community service, reputation for honesty, sincerity, stuff like that. And uh, name recalls. So in all the categories, Mama ranked high. So uh, President Cory then actually never... If she met my mom, not re- uh, not really, uh, it was her husband, Ninoy, who knew my mom. Ooh. So she was surprised. I, who is this Muslim lady? I don't believe that she has all these qualities. Oh. So they asked Mama to go to, to uh, the office of the president and they interviewed her. And sure enough,
2: back in the day in when the day. they
1: actually
2: looked, at yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, but Alma, tell the other funny story about how she got committed to run because she never had any intention of running.
1: So, do you yeah. remember that story oh. with, with Pop? Tell uh, bits about that. Check up Pop accompanied my mom. So then they were, they were ushered into the private office of uh, President Aquino. President Aquino was saying, Nina, I want you to run for the Senate. And then my mama was very reluctant because, you know, I mean local governance is way way different from a national post and legislative, right? So I said, right. uh, ma'am, uh, it it's maybe uh, I'm not uh, prepared to run because at the time we, we just relocated from from below after the burning, and, uh, you know, she had other things that she wanted to attend to. But, but, but uh, President, okay, so, but I need, I need people in the Senate who have the same mindset as myself so we can push for programs for development in areas such as, uh, Mindanao, Sulu, especially in the, the areas where we come from. So she, then she looked at my brother and said, what do you think, young man, should your mother run? And then my, my brother said, of course, <laughs> she should run. So my mother just looked at my, my brother said, so there. So our young my, committed uh, her, brother, Pop, committed was my mom who committed our yeah. mother to run, I mean, run for
2: the Senate. So that's the story of how she became a
0: senatorial candidate bit. I love that. you could say That's
1: she so was funny. victims of her two youngest children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. So maybe now we can talk a little bit about her work as a senator, maybe some of her major laws, especially since you know what like she represented Muslim Mindanao, maybe uh how did she represent Muslim Mindanao in the Senate? Well,
2: you know, when she was elected to the Senate, she was very conscious of the fact that she was a senator for all Filipinos, Mm -hmm. not just Muslim Mindanao. And this is the strangest thing. I mean, I I really have to pay tribute to my mom's integrity and, and courage. When She was in the Senate. The civil servants, because she was the chair of the very powerful uh, committee on uh, civil service. Civil servants would go to her complaining that they were being uh, eased out of their positions because they had been appointed during the the Marcos years and uh, seen as sympathizers of uh, the late uh, at the time, dictator Ferdinand Marcos. So they were being kicked out to make room for new uh, civil servants. And my mother, when she started getting all of these complaints and seeing how it was affecting hundreds and thousands of uh, civil servants who had done nothing wrong except be appointed during the uh, the Marcos years. So she actually organized committee hearings to look into this problem and then came up with a bill which later on became a law that stopped the practice. Those who had like two year contracts, they got easily kicked out. Even if they had been working in government for twenty years bits and they were having there were hundreds and thousands of them, so my mother prepared, um, you know, at civil service uh, bill that became law, giving them the right to become tenured mm-hmm. if they had served continuously for at least seven years. Mm-hmm. And the effect of that was hundreds of thousands of uh, Philippine civil servants were saved. And everywhere she went, a lot of people would come to her and thank her for, for saving their, their jobs. And that was the very first, uh, law that she passed. And she did that knowing full well that it would run counter mm-hmm. to what, uh, members of her own party wanted. Mm-hmm. But I think we should really remember, uh, Senator Rasul for the work that she did, the laws that she passed uh, empowering women. Uh, like, uh, did you know that the celebration of uh, Women's Day, Women's Month in the Philippines is thanks to our mom. We moved like crazy. Went to Congress, went to the House of Representatives to get allies and have them uh, pass the bill in Congress. She moved in uh, the senate and then it became it became law and then there's the um, the women in development and nation building act this act. is a very powerful piece of legislation because it required government to set aside a certain percentage of budget for programs that would capacitate women at the time They did not have yet a fixed uh, percentage rate because, you know, the men in the Senate were not so keen on it. Later on, Senator Leticia Ramos-Shahani was able to fix the percentage at 5% in the Magna Carta for women. But it was Mama who first put that on the table. And then you remember, Salma? Opening
1: mm-hmm. up the Philippine Military, Military Academy, Academy to women, that was
2: part of that
1: and the PNP Academy to women. So and that was
2: uh, that was really um, uh, rejected by the mm-hmm. cadets. They didn't want any women. In PNP. Mm-hmm. They said,
1: you know, the usual, the usual uh, objection, like we'll have to have separate bathing facilities for them. You know, <laughs> I said, you know, but that's uh, that's easy, that can be easily addressed.
2: What really drove her bits was education. When right. um, when she started uh, working after graduating from the University of the Philippines, she taught public school, she taught uh, third grade, I think, and uh, the MNLF chair. Normi Swari was, was one of her, her one of her students, and and Mama always uh, said that he was a quiet boy. But when she was in the Senate, she passed laws that focused on education. So, for instance, um, uh, she was the one responsible for the creation of the Literacy Coordinating Council. Council. That's lodged within the Department of Education so that um, government government agencies could come together, including the Economic uh, Planning Group, NEDA, National Economic Development Authority. They could come together and uh, support the needs to make our adults literate. She was responsible for making the Teachers College, known as the Philippine Normal College. She made that into a university so that we could have more resources to teach more teachers. teachers. Education. That the love of her life has always been, um, education. In a bit, it's it's just unfortunate that Salma and I, no matter how we try, we can never be our mom. (laughs) Sad.
1: (laughs) Sad, but true. (laughs)
0: I think your work now, what you're doing, like especially in the PCID, is like a continuation of her legacy. Though, even though perhaps you think like you can't match, you know, your mom's level, I guess it's still a continuation of her legacy. Mm-hmm. Especially since she she was the person who really educated both of you on like public service and stuff like that. I would say so. I I think I still think it's a really good feat. What you guys have accomplished?
2: I guess when you have a nurturing, encouraging mother, that empowers you. You have a mother who listens and who doesn't really push you into... No, actually, she did push me. No, really? You bit, know, bits like you wanted a career in journalism. But I was enrolled in the University of the Philippines uh, School of Economics. And at that time, that was a quota course. They only allowed, I don't know how many, 15 or 30 students uh, a year. And I got in. So I wanted to transfer to journalism. You know what she did, Bits? Yes. Because her classmate. In uh, UP at that time, a friend of hers was at that time the Secretary of Finance, Cesar Virata. So my mother took me to meet her classmate, Cesar Virata, and then she told Secretary Virata, my daughter wants to shift from economics to journalism. You talk some sense into her. Well, you know, what am I supposed to do? There I am with Cesar Virata. And <laughs> I'm saying, economics yeah. is an important course. I said, finish yeah. it. And as soon as you graduate, you come and see me and you join me in my technical staff. What was I supposed to do? So my mom, boy, oh, she knew how to pressure. Oh, my goodness. Did you ever pressure you, Salma? Nope. Oh, yeah, you pressured her. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's a different for
1: the one, so... <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: What's youngest your mom... Like? Role. Is your, does your mom also try to direct
0: your career choices or or uh, she gives you a free hand? No, but she definitely gives me a free hand. She's like a very young, very cool mom. <laughs> so mm-hmm. she lets me do anything I want. Uh, but she said... Her only rule is that I don't end up broke in the future. <laughs> it's <laughs> up to me. What you want to do.
2: <laughs> so I suppose the important lessons in life we really learned from our mothers when mm-hmm. we were when we were very young.
0: Ah, okay, okay. Um. So, Ma'am Amina and Ma'am Salma, what other le- what lessons have you learned from? your mother, that you can pass on to maybe other advocates of human rights and women's rights? Two sayings that she would repeat
2: time and time again. One was from, I think, Benjamin Franklin. Because sometimes we get tired of doing our homework. So instead, And remember, when I was growing up, we didn't have television in the province. We had books. So you would think if I'm reading a book, she'd be happy, right? But no. instead of doing my mathematics homework, I'm reading Ivanhoe or Three Musketeers. And she would say, no, you have to focus on your mathematics even though you hate it. You have to keep trying and trying because she said, you know, a success is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. But just because you're smart doesn't mean you're going to be successful in life. You've got to try and try mm-hmm. and try. That's the first lesson I, I ever got from my mom. The second, I think we were talking about uh, politicians and government service and integrity. And my mother would say, you know, corruption is like a crack in China. You, know, you have a beautiful piece of porcelain and there's a crack in it. No matter how hard you try to repair it, the crack will remain for all to see. And that was how he looked at uh, government service and uh, integrity, the need to keep your integrity in, in, uh, intact. Because even if you think nobody knows, somebody always knows. And you know, so those are two important lessons I learned from my mom. How about you, Salma?
1: Remember uh, when there are things that you know there are problems in the community. People go to her to ask for help, right? So when we ask her about this, I said, "Oh, that person, she—they've been asking help for you, but they there's no gratitude, so they're ingrates." <laughs> My mom will say, you know, actually, I don't know if it was Papa who said it first, but Mama kept on repeating it to us. What the left hand does, the right hand shouldn't. No. So, uh, he said, if you want to help, just help. Don't, don't, uh, think that you're helping because you expect something in return in the future. Said if you if you can see a problem and you can help address, and help this person address that problem, just do so willingly to the uh, to the best of your capacity and capability, and uh, and forget that you helped her. So if you gave money, forget that you gave you know you gave money or helped her in some you know. I said because God is all seeing and will will know and you know rewards will be in the hereafter not not in the current so that's pretty much what she has been doing and helping people uh, going to the underserved communities like her literacy classes remember during the um, height of the um, in 1974 after the burning of a law remember Amina she came from the pilgrimage right all she had was her clothes from her trip abroad. But she went to all her friends, her uh, college sorority sisters, her uh, colleagues in government then, uh, and asked for help to bring uh, food, uh, staples, clothing to Holo. Because what, was two-thirds of Holo got burned down?
2: of the town was burned, only the cathedral, our school, Notre Dame, the hospital, those remained, everything else burned. Our
1: residence was actually shelled and got raised to the ground. The only thing left was the stairs and the plumbing of the second, third floor bathroom. So... My brothers, nobody knew where they were. So Mama brought in uh, food, clothing, and had to ask uh, assistance from the Navy to allow her to bring this uh, relief goods to the community. And because there was a no, there was news blockout, nobody knew what was happening in law at the time. So, unlike what's happened, what happened in Marawi and Sabwanga, and people knew about it. So, you have civil society helping. In Holo, nobody helped except for mm-hmm. the relatives and friends of the residents. So, also
2: because nobody knew. That's right. Because there was, uh, yeah, the reporting the news was news zero. And nobody could go in. Yeah, actually. Only yeah. the military could, uh, could go in. So I, those, were, those were really desperate, uh, so. desperate times. It was already in in college yeah. at the time, and yeah. when the hollow burned to the ground, my brothers, our brothers, were in hollow. Yeah, three uh, brothers. They were under the care of our aunt, who just gave birth. Uh, <laughs> when the shelling happened, yeah. nobody knew what had become of all of them. Mm-hmm. So for days, we didn't know and uh when when they were finally found, and they told us the the horror stories uh you know that that they suffered, uh, all those days are going to be etched in our minds forever. By the way, you know when you're when you're talking about uh lessons learned, you know the style of nurturing bits. I I think maybe tell me if it's the same with in your family. But in our family, our father, uh, who later became a member of the cabinet of uh, President Justado Macapagal and later on became ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Um he and our mother never pushed our brothers to excel in school politics, or sports, and never pushed the daughters, us, to excel in sewing or cooking. So what happened bits, which is really weird, the three daughters, myself, Fatima, and Salma, we were the ones who were engaging in school politics, we were editors of the school newspaper, we were entered into contests for, you know, uh, oratorical contests and winning oratorical contests. And you know what our brothers were doing? They're playing music. They were members of the band. And our father and our mother never said anything about it. So they continued to nurture. Our brothers liked music. They were, you know, Papa bought guitars for them. The daughters were into governance and, and politics and all that we got all the yeah. all the support issue you, are your parents the same It
0: um for me growing up it was sort of just like my because it it's just me and my little brother my brother and i were just given free reign also to do whatever we were when it came to our extracurricular activities so and my brother and i were like Interested in a lot of the same things, so we did piano together. We did musical theater together, and then along the way, our, our interests sort of diverged. Like I started to become more into politics, and he started to go into sports, and then later on, uh, science and technology. So yeah, we were yeah we were both nurtured sort of in the same way, just you know pushed to do whatever we wanted, but not not ever pressured to pursue certain
2: paths. Yeah. So it looks like
1: our parents were modern parents, Alma. Aren't we lucky? Yes. Because they encourage us to take non-traditional roles, right? Or the expected roles. Remember, at that time, our father's family was like one of the established clans in Sulu. So, of course, because we were his children, they, the community expected us to be what? Snobbish, aristocratic. But no, mama said no. So we, we sold newspapers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Our brother sold newspapers. <laughs> me, I, was you, were you, I was, I was, with, with my other, with Pop, the one year older than me. Pop was the what? Seven you years. Were, seven, you, you were unfair. You no, no, targeted no. who you were
2: selling newspapers to. No.
1: But you know, we, <laughs> Mama would give us like oh, okay, you have five five uh newspaper units, right? So I said, but she said, okay, you can sell, but only in front of the house. So that was our territory. So <laughs> our aunts would pass by said, Oh, look at Ab Abraham's kids, they're so hardworking and selling newspapers. Let me, let me buy. Let me buy one paper. And of course, the what the newspaper then was what twenty five cents, and they give us like two pesos, five pesos, and keep the change. So we were so happy. <laughs> we we often sold the five <laughs> papers and had more money than we could count. So we would just patrol the the front gate of the house and that's where that's what that was our selling station. <laughs> I didn't
2: realize you were selling newspapers. I yeah, yeah, me, me selling newspapers. Me and
1: Pope in front. Yeah. Of course Jun Jun and Cheng they had their own routes. Yeah, they so, had they had
2: routes bits selling newspapers yeah. so, in Saloon.
1: So, as, so aside from us having our doing household chores like cleaning, scrubbing the floor. Cleaning the sta- the stairs, washing windows. We also had to earn ec- our extra money for summer. So that's one selling newspapers. So <laughs> when our cousins, you know, the, from the Rasul side, would say, "Oh," and my uncle says, "Look at the children of Abraham. They're so <laughs> they're so thrifty and hardworking." <laughs> so we learned the the beauty of Working for your money, for your uh, spending money. So that's how we yeah, earned yeah. our allowances.
2: Yeah. Hard work, ninety-nine percent perspiration, one percent mm-hmm. inspiration. It was really Hello. great growing up in the in Sulu at that time. It's. I wish you. I wish you could have, you know, been you know visited. Yeah. Could have visited us when. Uh, when we were there because i remember our house had the second a third floor mm-hmm. and on moonlit nights all of the children in our neighborhood would gather in the crossroads and we'd play patintero uh, hopscotch right mm-hmm. or or you know other games but under under the moonlight and our parents would be watching from the third floor of each house to make sure that no harm ever came to us. And sometimes we'd stay out there playing until nine o'clock in the evening, and nothing ever happened to us. It was completely safe. It was a Holo was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I, growing up as a child in in Holo was had my the best memories for me. And it's unfortunate that today. Even if there's no curfew at six o'clock, everybody just stays home. Nobody, nobody stays in the streets. But this, this is the situation we're in today. Bits, sad yeah. but uh, true. And at the end of the day, when I look at when everything changed, I think really everything changed when uh, martial law was proclaimed, because when that happened. Civilian authority was superseded by military. military authority, and no matter how hard we try today, it's very difficult to reform the the system. But yeah. hey, we will keep trying, right? <laughs> After all, the three of us we talk peace, right? <laughs> <It> <laughs> so I. I I hope we have uh, let you enjoy our stories about our mom, former Senator Santanina Rasul, and I hope that our yes. listeners also enjoyed the stories that we have uh, told. And um, I guess there's nothing there's nothing more we can say, Salma, except great mama. Happy, Happy birth- birthday! Happy, Happy birthday, birthday, mom! Happy 92nd.
0: Uh, Happy birthday.
2: So, dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Bits Alcibar, who just uh, recently graduated from the Ateneo de Manila University. And um, having said that, I hope you go and hug your moms, your grandmoms, because at the end of the day, the important lessons in life are the ones that we learn from our mothers. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for joining us today. This is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy saying bye for now. See us again. Listen to our episode next week. Don't forget, you can email us, send your uh, thoughts send your suggestions about speakers that you might want to hear from, and email us at she talks peace podcast at gmail.com. Let me repeat that she talks peace podcast at gmail.com. bye bye
0: bye she Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia